many people like building robots and get to learn a lot from assembling an electromechanical device. Uh, and at the end of it, then they get to make a drawing, learn to use a drawing program, and have that vector drawing transferred onto the egg by the egg bot. Welcome to Kids Lab, a podcast for parents, educators, and everybody interested in STEAM education. Today on the show, we're talking to Lenore Edman from Evil Mad Scientist Labs about their extremely cool but also very educational project kits such as the Eggbot, which is a drawing robot for eggs. So Lenore is the co-founder of Evil Mad Scientist Laboratories and currently lives in Sunnyvale, California. If you don't know, that's the heart of the Silicon Valley, according to the city brochure of Sunnyvale. But seriously, it could not be more central in the valley. Established in 2006, Evil Mad Scientist Laboratories strives to live up its motto, making the world a better place, one evil mad scientist at a time, serving as a resource for budding evil mad scientists everywhere. The Evil Mad Scientist Shop is the place to go if you're looking for fun, geeky and educational projects. For example, I purchased the Eggbot years back, which is a plotter for eggs. After building the project kit, you can design with the open source drawing program Inkscape and then instruct the Eggbot to transfer the drawing to an egg. I once planned a wonderful workshop at school with this great tool, which did not stop at designing and creating the eggs, but also involved making pancakes after we emptied the eggs, and later we even drilled holes to add LEDs to the eggs to make them shine. Another great product is Exidraw. Exidraw is a modern pen plotter, capable of writing and drawing on almost any flat surface with a variety of pens and markers. It can be used for drawing computer-generated art, which makes it popular with math and computer science teachers. So the list of their products is long, and I really recommend to have a look at their blog and the products. Head over to kidslab.dev for the show notes, including all these links as well as a few pictures of their products. So hi, Lenore. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me. Um, how are you these days? I'm doing okay. We are here about one week into our shelter in place in California. And so we're doing a lot of working from home and learning our new routines. Yeah, the coronavirus is spreading all over, right? So um, let's hope this, this, is, this drama is soon over again. Yes. All right. So... Lenore, let's start briefly with getting a little bit of history when it comes to Evil Mad Scientist Labs. How did it all begin? So uh, we like to say that we accidentally started a business. Uh, we, uh, When I say we, I mean myself and Wendell, my partner. We went to the very first Maker Faire in 2006, okay. and um, we took our interactive LED dining table to the Maker Faire, which we had made for our house after we moved to California. Uh, we needed a new table and uh, we decided this time it should have LEDs. And then we heard about this thing called Maker Faire and we're like, that's a good place to show off this project. So we went and um, in the very early days of Maker Faire, people were very... Uh, well, the audience was very much makers. So a lot of people said, 
how can I make this? I'd like to make one too. And we, we told them they were crazy that uh, we hand wired those 448 LEDs and the little interactive modules. And it was all hot glued together on a perf board, not perf board, but a pegboard in the back. And they still said we'd like to make them. So we started making kits with PCBs so that people could make similar types of ki- of projects, but more easily. Uh, so with PCBs, you didn't have to hand wire it. You could follow a set of directions, put the components in their correct place, and end up uh, you know having good success in building a thing. And so those were some of our very first kits, and we started the business in order to be able to sell those. So now I really have to ask you in detail, what is this? LED dining table all about. <laughs> what does it look like? Yeah, and what, what what's the purpose? What did it do? So, uh, if you um, change the amount of light over one of the sensors, it will change which LEDs are on, uh, and it will also send a signal to its neighbor node to say, "Hey, I got a change. Maybe you'd like to change too." And then it, the pattern of LEDs that are on will shift in the table. Oh, this looks very cool, probably. Wow. Uh, let's try to find some links, actually, for the show notes for that. <laughs> I'll definitely send you some pictures. Educational products in your store. That's the topic I would like to talk next about. So what is actually the number one educational product that you sell online? So I think in terms of actually sheer number, um, one of the things that we sell the most of is pager motors, little vibrating motors. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's really a bit unexpected, to be honest. I was thinking, yeah, maybe you sell some of these robotic kits or so. So what's the reason for the vibrating motors? Uh, we had started our um, blog, Eagle Mad Scientist Laboratories, uh, as a project blog to kind of keep track of our hobbies and um, projects. And uh, a lot of the projects that we were doing had an educational twist to them um, were things that people could do at home. And so one of the ones that we did that was immensely popular back in 2007, it, it was so popular that people often don't realize that we're the ones that did it. Um, we made bristle bots, which were a little vibrating robot on the head of a toothbrush. So you stick a pager motor and a battery on the, on the head of a toothbrush and it, um, buzzes around. It moves forward with kind of a ratchet motion as the, um, toothbrush bounces up and down from the vibrating motor. Uh, so we published a set of instructions on how to make one and people have made, thousands and thousands of them just from like motors they've bought from us. Uh, so I'm sure there are, so there have been other companies that have made kits based on them. There are pe- companies that have made products based on them. There's people that have, you know, made them from scrounged motors. Uh, so it's been one of our most successful educational projects in terms of the number of people that have done it. So any other educational products that are sold a lot in your store? Yeah, so we sell a lot of components like the pager motors and like LEDs. And LEDs can be used in so many projects, whether it's um, paper craft circuits or squishy circuits with the Play-Doh or, uh, you know, even just LED throwies where you're just putting a, a battery uh, on an LED. Um, so learning about simple circuits. Uh, and then um, we also have soldering kits and things like that that get used for teaching um, more technical skills like soldering. 
So let's talk a bit about the Eggbots. Um, that's the first product I bought from your store. And um, it's a, for, for me at that time, at least, it was a crazy plotting device. You can really draw on eggs, right? So how did your team come up with the idea or how did you come up with the idea to create a plotter for eggs? So the idea for creating the Eggbot was not actually ours, as in me and Wendell, uh, the, the idea came from Bruce Shapiro. He's a motion control artist um, who works with a lot of stepper motors and does some uh, amazing motion sculptures. And um, he was absolutely fascinated by working with stepper motors, but his family thought that it was a little bit crazy. So he thought, I'll do something that they'll understand. And it was Easter was coming up. So he made uh, the first egg bot to show them what you could do with uh, stepper motors. He, we met Bruce through, uh, through Maker Faire. And uh, he approached us about bringing out a kit. Uh, he had started making a kit version and realized that it would be a good idea to work with someone else on um, bringing it to a wider audience. Uh, so we worked with him on making it manufacturable, writing up a good set of instructions, uh, making it so people could build it and use it uh, easily and well. Very cool. And we'll have lots of links and, um, sorry, images, of course, in the show notes. Um, can you give us a quick rundown on the eggbot? How does it work? How do you go from a design to actually drawing something onto an egg? All right. So there's two different paths now. Uh, one is that you can get a kit and build the robot itself. Um, and it, uh, we have online a, a set of instructions for how to build the eggbot. And so many people like building robots uh, and get to learn a lot from assembling an electromechanical device. Uh, and at the end of it, then they get to make a drawing, learn to use a drawing program, and have that vector drawing uh, transferred onto the egg by the egg bot. So that's kind of like path number one. It turns out not everyone wants to build an egg bot. <laughs> Uh, not, not everyone is into robot building. Uh, some of the people who want to use the eggbot just want art on eggs, or maybe uh, they want to look, teach about um, things like digital fabrication or uh, creating uh, vector artwork in a way that's uh, really tangible and hands-on, but don't have the time for everyone to learn how to build the robot first. So we also have eggbots that come pre-assembled, the eggbot pro, for example. And that's a better choice for use in a situation where the people using it are not the people who built it. So it's a little bit more intuitive to use. Um, and it gets used in maker spaces and libraries. And it also gets used by people who are dedicated to egg art. <laughs> And in the end, I can just take any picture and just will be drawn on an egg or do I have to use a special kind of format or something like that? You do have to use a special format. So when people say picture, they usually, in the context of computers, mean something that's made up of pixels. And the egg bot is a vector art device. It needs lines to follow. So your drawing has to be made of lines. So if you're starting with something like a photograph, you have to find a way to turn that into lines. And there are lots of different ways to do that. We even provide some tools for that, um, for doing those kinds of conversions. So there's a lot of software that you also have to maintain for a lot of these project kits. 
Uh, and that did bring up the question for me, like, uh, how, how big is actually Evil Mad Scientist Labs by now? How many employees do you have? So right now we have about six employees in addition to Wendell and myself. Um, we've had more and fewer at various times in our uh, history, depending on uh, where we are in, in our product cycles and things. Um, but this is a, a good size for us. But as far as software, um, it is primarily um, just us plus one software contractor who uh, work on that. Plus, we actually do have some collaborators. For instance, coming from the Eggbot project, uh, we have people um, that work with us on the firmware uh, and other designs for the motor controllers. What are some of the characteristics of a really well-designed educational project kit? There must be something that you must be thinking day in and out, right? Ideally, you should know going in uh, what, what makes a successful outcome. And so for an educational kit, that's a really good question. Is the outcome that they learn a skill? If so, then maybe what you want is a soldering kit that teaches someone to solder that has enough solder joints that they can um, get practiced, but isn't so many that it's intimidating. The instructions need to be very clear. It really depends on what your goals are educationally as far as, you know, what the, what specific characteristics they're going to be. So one of our kits is the flickery flame kit. It has six candle flicker LEDs. Uh, and a battery box and a PCB uh, and six resistors. So it's a low number of components, um, but higher than just an LED on uh, a pin like some of the other intro to soldering kits. So this one gives people just enough practice to get comfortable, to feel like they're ready to tackle something bigger if they're learning to solder. Do you have some internal processes that make sure that you kind of always deliver the highest quality in terms of these kits? Um, so do you have like your own testing group, for example? For soldering kits, we've been doing them long enough that uh, we kind of know what what the pitfalls are. Um, for other things, we look at each thing individually as to make sure that we understand what the outcomes are going to be, whether it's something that is good for a kit or whether it's something that needs to ship assembled. Um, we don't necessarily use test groups, uh, although we have occasionally given things to people to try out, even our employees sometimes. Um, but uh, it just sort of takes a careful eye as to what what the goals are and what the outcomes are likely to be. So it was my impression at least years ago that mostly nerd mom and dads, basically like me, order in your shop to kind of fascinate their kids or maybe also their surroundings, uh, how cool it can be to build one of these kids. But do you think that also there's more interest from schools and teachers by now? So when it comes to buying these project kits and actually doing this with their students at school, is there has the market been growing? Definitely. Um, and uh, as schools have gradually increased their attention to um, making as an integral part of the classroom, they've started to view the tools that we have as um, more useful. So we have things like the flickery flame kits that are low cost and can be ordered in bulk that get used for teaching soldering in maker spaces, both inside of schools and libraries, as well as um, uh, external like hacker spaces and things. Um, 
But one of the favorite ways that I see some of our products getting used in um, educational settings are the pen plotters. So the Eggbot and the AxiDraw uh, and the Watercolor Bot are being used uh, as adjuncts for teaching uh, programming. So if your students are writing programs, uh, oftentimes the output is just something they see on a screen. So there's nothing tangible about what they've learned. But if they're writing programs that create art and they can have a robot draw that art for them, then they get something to take home that's representative of their code that, you know, they can, they can show off uh, without having to have a computer or a screen. So we're seeing things like the AxiDraw and the Watercolor Bot and the EggBot being used that way. And that's really exciting. So how do we enable more teachers to actually be able to, to use these projects in the classroom? I think that the the chief thing that we need to do to enable our teachers is to give them more support, right? They need the time and the resources to to uh, be able to explore them themselves. You're, it's hard to use a tool in the classroom that you haven't had a chance to use yourself. Um, so if you're being suddenly asked to teach engineering and someone says, hey, use this plotter to teach art and engineering – well, maybe we should give them some time to try it out and uh, go through the process themselves uh, and uh, to have that uh, support from their administration that it's okay to do this kind of exploration both individually and then with their classrooms to try out to see what works with groups of students. So you're based in Sunnyvale, California, and that's the heart of the Silicon Valley. I think that's even in the city brochure of Sunnyvale, I believe, if I remember that yes. correctly. How has STEAM education in this highly IT-related industry, right, or this area that's co completely dominated by IT and nerds, basically, how has the how has STEAM education and the whole STEAM sector and the maker sector changed over the years? So I've been seeing a lot more integration into the schools of makerspaces and um, what we would think of as tech toys, you know, things like 3D printers and vinyl cutters and embroidery machines are, are getting put into schools. And when you, when you get those tools in a school uh, where the teachers have the resources to be able to explore and use them, you can see the kids start to do some really amazing things. So I guess I've seen just a lot more uh, freedom for the teachers to be able to, to try out new things and let their students explore in new directions that uh, used to be pretty restricted to a specific curriculum. That's cool. That's a very good sign, actually. That's nice. So do you have some tips for parents and maybe also for teachers when it comes to engaging kids in these STEAM activities? One of my tips is try it yourself first. If you're curious about whether something's going to be good for your kid, you know, read up on it. Give it a shot. Try soldering yourself. Um, but another uh, important thing is to follow the kid's lead. If they're interested in um, soldering, great. Uh, let them solder. Buy them more soldering kits. You know, make sure they have a good quality soldering iron. If they're interested in art, fantastic. Steer them in that direction. Find them things like uh, the uh, sticker circuits and so on. Um, we 
we have a kit that's called the bulb dial clock. It's an LED shadow clock, and it's a kit that takes a really long time to assemble, at least compared to some of our other kits. Uh, and it's kind of sculptural, so it's a little bit tricky. You actually have to follow the instructions or you can make some mistakes. So I have, we have a friend who uh, his daughter really liked to solder, and he wanted a bulb dial clock, so he asked her to solder it for him. Well, that's great. He's following his kid's lead. She's getting to do something she likes, but uh, he didn't anticipate that she would really take ownership of the project in that when she was finished putting it together, she wanted to keep it. <laughs> so he had to get one so that he could have one in his office too. That's the best possible outcome, right? <laughs> it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> so let's uh, talk about one more product. Um, all we, we talked about a lot already, right? But um, the one I'm really interested also these days is ExitRaw. So can you give us a quick intro to the ExitRaw? Yeah, so pen plotters have been around for a very long time. They were uh, some of the first printers um, so it's okay to use the word printer, uh, that we had. Uh, and the the pen plotters from the 60s are still around and, and plotter artists are still using them. Um, what's different about AxiDraw is that it's designed uh, to be very flexible. It can use pretty much any pen and it can draw on whatever's in front of it. So we've had people do things like draw on T-shirts or lab coats or wood, um, you know, drawer fronts, uh, all kinds of different things. And every time that we think that we've heard it all, somebody comes up with something new they're drawing on uh, or with uh, or a new tool that they've put in the head. So it's kind of exciting in that it can be used in such a wide variety of ways. So 2020 just started uh, with the coronavirus, unfortunately. But is there something that you're really looking forward to this year, like a cool educational event or a cool new product that's coming out? We just recently uh, launched a couple of new products, which are our surface mount discrete component kits. Um, the 555 SE and the 741 SE. And I mention these because they connect to an event that we're hoping to be able to do in October, which is the Vintage Computer Festival uh, East, which happens in New Jersey. And uh, so they're part of our line of what we call disintegrated circuits, that they're circuits that we have um, made for people to build up from individual transistors and resistors. And the biggest circuit in this um, genre that we have made is not one that people get to build. It's just it's one that, that we build, but it's the uh, Monster 6502, uh, which is a 6502 processor made from uh, transistors. And it's a really cool project where you get to see inside of a processor and watch the processor working, uh, you know, running programs. Uh, and we'll be hopefully be taking that to VCF East, which is one of our favorite events. Um, this one is focused specifically on the 6502 processor, which is part of the history of computing. It's one of the processors that many people learn to code on, and it's beloved by by many, <laughs> many computing enthusiasts. Sounds super exciting. So let's hope that takes place. Lenore, thank you so much for this cool interview. Wish you all the best. And let's hope that this crisis is, is over soon, of course. Thanks for having me. 
together with Lenore, we explored the world of evil mad scientist labs products and we also learned about her motivation around STEAM education. Now head over to kidslab.dev to check out the show notes, explore all the links mentioned and of course for some background info about evil mad scientist labs. In the next episode we're talking to Victoria Brackertz. She's the director of the Haber Digitalwerkstatt in Munich, Germany. 